you know, my first trip in the big leagues, you know, a veteran player introduced me to, you know, cocaine, told me to go on the back of the plane, you know, that there it is, and there it was, and I went back there, and, and I hit it, and, and I liked it, and I just wanted to be a part of what the guys was. I thought this was the life, you know, and, you know, they took me out on my first road trip, and they took me to the club, and they showed me the girls, and they said, here it is, you can have what you want, and I, I just thought to myself, man, I've, I've arrived. I'm 21 years old, you know, my father said I wasn't going to be anything. He was the number one overall pick in the 1983 Major League Baseball Draft. He was the Rookie of the Year and a four-time World Series champion. Despite all these accolades, his pain led him to his greatness, but his greatness led him to his destructive behavior. From drug, alcohol, and sex addiction, and beating cancer twice, Daryl Strawberry shares how he's found the new innings of his life. So without further ado, it's our guy, Daryl Strawberry. Daryl Strawberry, man. Appreciate you uh, taking some time. Join myself and my partner Kyle Decker here on the Underdog Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys for having me. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no doubt, man. Like I, t- like I said before we started recording, it's, uh, it's a dream come true. Grew up watching you play ball. Um, Shoot, he still know. looks like he can still play ball I'm, here. I'm sure he could. <laughs> he looks like no. a tip-top shade over there. No, I never want to do that again, man. <laughs> I, I did, that, did that for many years, and that's over and done, and you got to move on from it. So. Yeah, sure. no, no doubt, no doubt. Um, well, again, this is the underdog, and – you know, just listening to your story and watching over the years, you know, I know you have, you know, several moments where you may consider kind of underdog or, or rock bottom. But I think for us, you know, there was a couple of moments that I think we want to focus on uh, over the next 30, 35 minutes or whatnot. And I want to go back first to what we consider, you know, early part of your life and kind of probably that first underdog portion of it when you were uh, a boy um, you often said that um, you were broken before you even started playing baseball and you know your relationship with your father he was you know verbally abusive and you know physically abusive Um, can you take us back to growing up and how a lot of that brokenness happened uh, and kind of led into who you, you know some of the downfalls I guess spirals out of control uh, when you became a, a pro baseball player? Uh, no question. Um, I, I think it all starts from, you know, my childhood. My father was alcoholic and, you know, he would come home many nights and with craziness. And, you know, we finally woke up for the last time. He came home with some craziness, drunk. And, and me and my brothers woke up and my older brother told him, why don't you just get out here and leave us alone? And he pulled out a shotgun, said he was going to kill the whole family. And me and my brother, Ronnie, went into action. Ronnie grabbed a butcher knife. I grabbed a frying pan. And, and my mother, you know, had it not been for her, her little sweet self, you know, that look on her face and making us get out of the house, uh, it, it would have been a tragedy that night. That night uh, you know, there's no question about it. And, you know, my mom, we knew we would listen to her because she raised five of us and we got out of the house. And um, we just knew from that day there moving forward that um, he was no longer going to be around anymore because my mom finally stood up and just didn't tolerate it anymore. And I always say that, you know, my, my pain uh, led me to my greatness and my greatness would eventually lead me to my destructive behavior. I think a lot of times people see people be well and put on a baseball uniform, football uniform, basketball uniform, and they should be well because they put a uniform on and they make millions of dollars and nothing should be wrong. 
where I always say brokenness is real. Lawlessness brings about brokenness. And I was broken before I ever put the uniform on. The uniform just covered up the scars and the wounds and allowed me to go out and play baseball and become the best because I was in pain and I wanted to be great. And I wanted to prove my father that he was wrong about, you know, who I was and everything. And, and I actually did that. But at the same time, uh, the brokenness of me would continue to follow me until I got well on inside. And I was never well throughout my whole major league baseball career. You know, I was just a baseball player when I put a uniform on and I played at the highest level and I can excel at, at the highest level, uh, just as great as anybody could because I believed in myself because of all the rejection I had in my life. And I think a lot of times we don't ever see what happens to people. We just really think, well, what's wrong? Why shouldn't he be happy? You know, he has everything. Yeah, I had everything from a material standpoint, but I didn't have the freedom of who I was on the inside. And, you know, I said I wouldn't grow up to be like my father. I grew up just to be just like him because the curse was not broken. Um, I grew up being an alcoholic just like him. I grew up being abusive to my wife. And my kids, well, never, never my kids. I never put my hands on my kids because I realized I was scarred from that. So I would never touch them because they'd left me scarred. But, you know, to my wife, you know, to the women that I was married to, I was very abusive and I treated them bad, uh, just as well as my father. I, I was repeating the same habit that my father had repeated. And, you know, I, I ended up, you know, with two broken marriages, you know, because of me, not because of what they were about. It was because of my selfishness and my self-centered and, you know, my lifestyle and, you know, because a lifestyle of fame and fortune tell you you can do what you want, have what you want and do it any old kind of way. And, and you fall into that and you believe that and you believe the hype of that and you do that. And I, I know a lot of guys don't talk about the history, but I talk about my history because, you know, the fact is I have victory now, but I didn't have victory then. And, you know, I was in a, a deep darkness and living in deep secrets and playing baseball at the highest level, but still broken on the inside. How were you able to continue on that, I guess, excel throughout high school with having, you know, that brokenness? Because obviously you were the first overall pick and you were, you know, the guy, you know, coming out. But how were you able to keep that, keep that focus? And what struggles did you go through once, you know, walking away from your father and trying to stay that course to continue to get to that point to where, you know, you're going to get drafted as number one overall? Well, I was able to keep my focus because my mother raised me right. You know, and I think a lot of people don't understand that. My mother wasn't one of these people that just laid down and said, well, just because we don't have a father, you're not going to be raised right. She raised me right. Uh, You know, I'm the one one decided to be a heathen and live the lifestyle a different way. You know, going into high school, she raised me right. She took care of me and she put me through school the right way. It, It was my decision to get myself together, you know, after my father had left home because I remember I got kicked out of like four different junior high schools, you know, because of trouble and gangs and all the things that I was into. And then I went to high school and I started playing sports and I saw that sports was, you know, very attractive and I got involved into sports and I still was troubled in high school because I remember my first year in high school baseball and I was playing and I was jogging across the field and I started walking halfway to get to the dugout and my coach came up to me and he thumped me in the head and said, don't ever walk off this field again. I took the uniform and threw it off. It took it the uniform off and threw it in his face and I quit. And I, and I realized right there, you know, that, you know, I was, I was still troubled inside of myself. You're know, still in high school. And then I went, went, went into playing basketball and then I got into basketball and the high school coaches really disciplined me when I was in high school. Um, I played at Crenshaw high with coach Willie West and Joe weekly. And if you got in trouble in school, you got in trouble in class or something, something happened. You'd be in practice, man. 
You're going to run suicides all day long. You ain't going to even practice. You're going to run suicides while everybody else is practicing. So I, I learned through that period there that discipline was starting to come into play, you know, from the coaches that were in my life. And, you know, I just needed to learn how to deal with that because I really didn't want nobody to kind of control me because my father had controlled me all that time when I was young and I was really disturbed inside. So, you know, when I got to high school and got into sports and had all the different coaches in my summer league team, two coaching me, you know, that brought about discipline to change me to stay focused. Now, when, Daryl, when did, um, you, we had Chris Heron on here who has, you know, overcame this uh, addiction of, whether it's alcohol, drugs, for you also was a sex addiction. Um, when did this start? For him, it was early on in his career, in his life, you know, in like middle school. Um, when did really the drugs and alcohol or anything else come into play? It was at an early age, and then that just can't continue to pile up over time. Or uh, when, when did you, know, you start to face those? It was at an early age. You know, when I was at the age of fourteen, I was already drinking Coke forty-five, and I was already smoking uh, marijuana. You know, the marijuana maintenance. You know that we all go on at such an early age, and nobody says. Everybody said, "Well, it's nothing really wrong with it. It's nothing really wrong with it." People who have health problems, but I didn't have health problems. I was a kid, you know, and I was altering my mind. And I think early when you do that, um, it makes a difference of what direction you're going to take, you know, because of drinking. And when I took my first drink, I liked it. It made me feel good. And, you know, I started at an early age and it it just carried on into, you know, my high school days. It carried on into my minor league days. I played minor league baseball. You know, I was addicted to smoking marijuana all the time. And, you know, I came close to quitting, you know, my second year in baseball. And, you know, they had asked me just give it another year. I didn't really, I didn't really, I thought it was baseball, but it was really me, you know, struggling with different things. And, you know, they were like, give it another year. And I gave it another year and I came back and was the Texas league MVP. And I became a baseball player that year in 1982. And then 83, I get to go to the big leagues. And, you know, my first trip in the big leagues, you know, a veteran player introduced me to, you know, cocaine told me go on the back of the plane, you know, uh, there it is. And there it was. And I went back there and I hit it and, and I liked it. And I just wanted to be a part of what the guys was. I thought this is the life, you know, and, you know, they took me out on my first road trip and they took me to the club and they showed me the girls and they said, here it is. You can have what you want. And I I just thought to myself, man, I've, I've arrived. I'm 21 years old. You know, my father said I wasn't going to be anything, but I had these inner issues that were real and deep. And, and, and they were there and they was not going anywhere. And eventually they would play out in my life in the public perception. How were you able to, <clears throat> with all of these distractions, how were you able to, as Ryan Hawk always says, sustain excellence over time? Because I want to talk about, you know, uh, in a few minutes, you know, in 1991, I believe you said just when you found God. But up until that point from 83 to 1990, how were you able to sustain that level of just playing at such a high level with all of the off-field distractions? Well, because I was a baseball player, and baseball was just a game. And, and that doesn't change from little league or to minor leagues, big leagues. You know, it, it's just it just gets a lot tougher each level that you get to. But what I did is I learned to master and conquer the game. And what I say by that, I used to win the ball game from, from the on-deck circle. I could beat a guy in my head from the on deck circle because I watched the game and, and I know the situation. And I always knew in a game, you know, when I'm at the plate, I'm going to get two good pitches. One of them I got to hit. You know, mm-hmm. I, I may miss one of them, but I know the other one I'm going to get, I'm not going to miss. And, you know, that's just the way 
I learned to master the game. And once you understand how talented you are and learn how to master the game, uh, you got to be very creative out there, you know, to, to make the game uh, come to you. I didn't go to the game. I made the game come to me. And, and when I learned that I, I was able to do that, when I learned and got good at that, uh, it was simple. You know, it was a simple way for me to learn how to beat pitchers and learn how to know that pitchers would make mistakes because I would watch the catcher from the own deck circle and I would watch the way he moved in and out. And I know when he moves in and out, he's moving in and out for fastballs. So I can feel him when I'm up at the plate, when he's moving in and out on me. I know it's a fastball way. I know it's a fastball in because you can't throw a breaking ball away and you can't throw a breaking ball in. And so I know if the catcher sits up comfortable in the middle of the plate, I know it's a breaking ball. So, you know, mastering the game was like, you know, something that I had to create inside of me so I could understand it. And when I feel uh, the movements of the catcher, then I know how things will work out for me because I know what what was coming. And so it, it was just part of learning, you know, baseball as a player. You, 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 you watch and you learn and you become the best at it. And I became the best at it, but I still had all these inner issues that were still there. I had the outer issues that was making, me great because of the talent I had, but the inner issues that would destroy me because I was broken on the inside. Yeah, and those that don't know that might be listening, uh, you know, not just a great, but you know, great, a great player. So, them off. number one draft pick, rookie of the year, 86 World Series champion. Hopefully, you have this all right. 96, 98, 99 World Series champion with the Yankees, eight straight All Star games, 84 to 91. So, um, Definitely, obviously, a great player, as you had mentioned. But you know, let's let's go ahead and turn because that's not really why we're here today. The underdog story is how you overcame that adversity to be the best human being you can be. And I love following your content and the books you you've put out there and and what you guys are doing with your foundation. And we'll get into that. But let's talk about the journey back, right? As Calvin had mentioned, um, after you had you know, kind of lost everything, it sounds like, and, you know, rock bottom. Can you tell us where rock bottom was and in, in the journey that you've gotten uh, since then? Yeah, rock bottom was, was a place that probably I needed to go. You know, anyone that ends up with a very successful life and achieves so many great things, and when you think, you know, that's just the way it is and it should be like that, and, you know, I could dangle my trophies around in my rings and say, you know, I accomplished it all, but, you know, a rock bottom and a broken broken person like myself ended up in addiction, you know, ended up in a Florida state prison because of addiction with a T17169, um, ended up in addiction, ended up $3 million in debt, ended up not having a driver's license, ended up broken and just stripped mm-hmm. completely from everything. And, you know, I, a lot of people, I don't recommend people take the road I took, you know, it, it, it was only the journey that was created for me to take, you know, because of the brokenness where I entered in and, and then from the rock bottom, being able to find, you know, true, true life, you know, I mean, thanks to my wife, who is my wife today, it's crazy, you know, and we've been together for like 21 years and she's got 21 years of recovery and I was still in addiction. And, um, when she was clean, she had a year clean and she was banging on doors in South Florida, pulling me out of dope houses. I was shooting dope, smoking crack and wanted to die. And she was banging on doors and pulling me out of dope houses and saying, God's got a plan for you. I said, well, why don't you and that God leave me here? just let me die. And she said, you're just not that lucky, you know? So it, it, it's a life of, of understanding that God is always going to use people to help people. And she, he used her to help me, to lead me back, you know, to him, uh, to a place with, that would restore me. But people think, well, well, how did, how did that happen? You know, it was not an overnight miracle. It was a process. 
I had to sit for seven years to be discipled, to go through the discipleship, to become the man I am t- today, you know, to be the evangelist who travels 250 times a year and preaching the gospel. And I'm, guys, listen, I'm not even qualified to do it. You know, I didn't go to school for it. You know, it's just like, you know, God met me right where I was at in the midst of my brokenness and restored me, you know, through, through my wife's ability to lead me back. And it would ultimately change my life forever. And I would become a totally different person and do totally different things. Now, you go through this recovery, and as again, I know you're, it, it, it went on for, for quite some time, <clears throat> but then you're, you're dealt with another event, as we talk about E plus R equals O, and the event being cancer. So you're going through everything, drug addiction and alcohol and everything that Kyle mentioned, but then you're stricken with cancer. And can you talk about what that did to you as well and how you were able to overcome because it was colon cancer and then I believe it was kidney cancer, correct? So not only was it once, but it it struck you twice and it was another thing that, you know, another rock bottom moment, I think, that you you had to overcome. Yeah, it's just another moment in life that I had to overcome and it was very challenging because of the fact, you know, I had to bury my mom at the age of 51, at 55. And I buried my sister at the age of 51. So it, it was really hard, you know, to, to be able to experience cancer what, like I did and, and knowing that it was in the family. Um, you know, when I lost my mom, I was just uh, devastated because she was everything that we had in our life. And, and she taught me how to live right. And she taught me how to talk right and act right. And there it was, you know, I'm, I'm living a completely heathen lifestyle, you know, and separate, you know, away from the principles of her teaching me and knowing that they were in me and and then to be able to have cancer myself and, and go through the fear the first time I, uh, um, getting cancer in 98, it was in the midst of uh, a season when I was with the Yankees and we were on the way to the playoff and I couldn't go into the playoffs that year. And we go, the team go on, we go to the World Series and they beat um, San Diego that year. But, uh, you know, I, I'm stricken with cancer and in the hospital having surgery and then it reoccurs again in 2000. And then I go and I lose my kidney in the second surgery. So there I was, you know, with, here I am today living life with one kidney healthy, you know, but it's just the process that I had to go through, the challenge I had to go through chemo. I, I didn't want to go through chemo anymore. I just wanted to die. I just looked out that window and I told my doctor, I said, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, on the second surgery. And he said, well, this, this is really not about you. This is really about those little kids that you have. And so he convinced me to go through another surgery because I really didn't want to go through another surgery. He said, well, it, you know, the cancer eventually is going to spread throughout your body. Uh, and you got a better chance of having the surgery and removing your kidney. So I allowed them to go ahead and remove the kidney. And, and here it is, you know, overcoming that, you know, just overcoming so many different challenges. And I think the reason of me come overcome, being able to overcome so many things is because I saw my mother come overcome so many things, raising us, you know, by herself, five kids and the only one working and, and putting food on the table and making life good for us. Uh, I just had to reflect back on that, you know, and when I reflect, reflected back on that, I saw her beautiful face of not quitting and not giving up. Had she given up on us, you know, that means, you know, I would give up on life. And I realized that I can't quit. I can't give up on life because my mother did. And that's so much. We had uh, Judge, Math- Judge Mathis last week on the, our podcast. And Judge, same thing, uh, grew up very uh, without a father and, I uh, was in the gang life in inner city Detroit. He mentioned how important his mother 
you know, because he was not in the same thing, and he thought of his mother. It's almost eerily similar yeah. uh, path that you guys taken as far as the, the impact that your mothers have had on you, which is great to hear. So someone that's listening that's going through this, right, um, you know, reflect on something potentially that is – is a shining moment, but like for Daryl, put a smile on his face. Is there anything, you know, I know you're, you're traveling the country and, and spreading the word uh, of Jesus and different, um, you know, different positive things, not just outside of, uh, of that. What, what are some other items maybe that someone that's going through some mental health or depression or addictions that you could say, how can they get out of that position? Cause I think a lot of people don't think there is a way out. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't think there's a way out, but there is a way out. You know, mental health is a, it's a real struggle. And, and I, I would say that, that you would have to go to doctors, you know, to be able to, you know, examine you through that process. You know, nobody can actually fix that process for you. But I think all the other issues that we have, if, if people come to the understanding of a, a relationship, know that you know, he's the savior and he's, He's the one that can rescue you, redeem you, and restore you to wholeness. He is the only one. He is the only one that could help us get to this place of healing us on the inside because issues and stuff are, are, are embedded on the inside of us because of our sinful nature. And, and when we understand that, when we understand that we don't have to live under that and, and be crippled to that. And I think I lived under that for so many years, you know, living separated and just living from a worldly perspective. You can do whatever you want. But they can tell you, you can pick your sins, but you can't pick your consequences. They don't tell you the consequences of life are real and they're going to come against you. So I realized that, you know, encouraging people to tell them that God has never mad at none of us. Look, look, I was a mess. He brought it into a message. What do you think he'll do with your life if you just can make a commitment? I had to make a commitment and I had to surrender myself and I had to follow the principles and start living according to the principles and living a different way to change my heart, you know, not my head, you know, because our head won't change. Our head's a knucklehead, but your heart <laughs> can be changed. <laughs> There's a change of the heart that can change. The only God can change that. There's a place in all of us that's created for him to be, and it's in our heart to be able to change us so we can walk a different way, so we can act a different way, and so we can do something different that can help so many other people. And I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, you know, I, I lost a lot of friends and so-called friends, you know, when I started, when I got into ministry and I started, becoming a different person. I didn't, I didn't change towards them, but I changed who I was. I changed the way I talked. I changed the way I act. I changed the way I live. So, so be it. You're going to lose a lot of people, but I tell you, I, I received the greatest reward on this side of being able to help so many more people because I became a different person. Can you talk a little bit about um, your new book, <clears throat> turn your season around how God transforms your life? Uh, I started reading that uh, a couple of days ago and I'm almost finished, but I definitely wanted to, uh, you know, give you a chance to touch on that. Cause I believe it came out in just in January, correct? So it's, it's, a, it's fairly new. Hey, yeah, it came out in January. It's going on the second, second month now. And, um, you know, it was a book that, you know, God put down inside of me that was there for a very long time. And I didn't really want to write it. But my wife kept pushing me. You need to write it because my life had been transformed and I had been standing on these platforms and, you know, preaching in churches in front of thousands of people. And like I said, I'm not even qualified to do, but there was God had done something inside of me because I was willing to surrender myself for real. I, I was willing not to be a hypocrite and just talk about Jesus and talk about God anymore. And, and, and of course, I was going to take the criticism, just like most guys that stand on the platform that serve God, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be criticized if you really live that way. And, that, and that's what it was for me. 
And so I, I just decided to let's go ahead. Zondervan came and I wrote this book called Turn Your Season Around. And people ask me, well, what is Turn Your Season Around? But it's about you turning your season around, regardless of where you're at and what we've been through, pandemic, you know, whatever, racial issues, everything that we've been through, God is still waiting to turn your season around. They said, well, why do you use baseball like nine innings? I said, well, because you can go for two, your first two at best, and you can come up in that eighth inning with runners on first and second, and I can hit a bomb, and we can be up in the ball game. It's just a way to think. You know, you got to th- think outside of the box. You can't think in the box. I think too many people think in the box of the system or whatever we're living in instead of thinking outside of who God is, and he's far greater than any system that I've ever lived in. When when I gave my life to him for real, and I wasn't straddling that fence anymore and living according to worldly standards. And I started living according to biblical standards. And my whole life became great, man. And my whole life became at peace. You know, there's such a great joy in understanding why I'm here and why I get up every day. I get up every day with an urgency, a purpose, to help someone else, to encourage someone else, and tell them, you're not too far off where God cannot meet you. He met me in a pit and put me in a pulpit, and I'm not even qualified. That's I, that's why we do this podcast. You know, I yeah, think that's it right here. That message there, and in, in in the sports piece, you know, I think you're the first one we've had who's really correlated the baseball analogy. You know, we as a, as former football players, we always you know use the football analogy, and we've had guys use the basketball, but it doesn't matter. But it just shows you the power of sports and and what it can do to you, and how you can break your life down into seasons, into innings, whatever you need to break into quarters, whatever it is, and be able to say, okay, the game's not over. You know. You're only given, as I heard you say, you're um, you're only given one shot at this life. So you know, don't blow it. Even though you may have had, you know, a rough first twenty years, fifteen years, whatever it is, you know, that second season, you're able to turn it around. So again, man, I think that's why we do this podcast and the message you just gave there. So appreciate that. Yeah. How, how is uh, one quick question? I know with the fa- how is the relationship? Obviously, you talked about relationships and how do you heal someone maybe that's going through that? How do you um, the people that want to, uh, you know, have that relationship with you that you maybe turned away because of drugs and addiction. Maybe it was your kids. I'm not sure, or if it's friends or family. Um, I know your sister passed and your mom, but what what is that? How do you how do you rekindle those relationships? Well, you go back and make amends to people. You go back and tell them you were wrong. You mm-hmm. know, and I went back to you know my my first and second wife and told them I'm sorry. You know, uh, asked for forgiveness. You know, I was wrong the way I treated you. You know, I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good father. But I just want you to know that my life has changed. And, you know, and I have I live a different way. And I just want you to know that I'm so sorry. And you just be honest. You know, you know, honesty is the most important thing, you know, uh, when you're going back to make those amends to people and, and my kids and my relationships with my kids is incredible today. My relationships with their mothers are incredible. I mean, I, there's no bad wounds there anymore. You know, we went back, I went back and, and made amends, to, you know, to all the people that I did wrong and stuff like that. And you have to clean your side of the street. It doesn't matter if other people don't clean their side of the street. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not important. What was important for me was to clean my side. And let me give you an example of how with my father, you know, my father and my relationship was completely broken and there was no way he wasn't in my life, my career. He didn't get to see his grandkids. I kept him out because I was angry at him. You know, I was mad. I was bitter with him. I hated him. And there was God saved me. And there I was in California getting ready to do a men's uh, prayer breakfast on a Saturday morning. My father's in the hospital down in San Diego. And the Lord speaks to me on a Friday night and tells me, go see my father. And he goes, I want you to repent to your father 
and ask your father to forgive you for keeping him out of my life. Not me forgive, not, not the forgiveness from him. It was from me. I needed to go ask him to forgive me. So I do exactly that. And I go down there and I see my father and I say, you know, the Lord has changed my life. I'm a different person today. I said, I was wrong. Will you forgive me for keeping you out of my life, my career and your grandkids? And he shook his head and said, yes. And a tear came out of his eye and I lost it guys. I just laid in his lap and I just, I was weeping and crying, just lost it. And then God said, raise up about, you know, couple minutes afterward he said raise up he says now lead him in the center prayer i said you know the lord has changed my life would you like to accept him as lord over your life and he said yes and i said will you repeat after me and i led him in the center prayer and there it was the man that rejected me and beat me and left me and my family crippled i was leading him to the lord and i led him to the lord and he goes on to pass about four or five months later and he goes home to be with the lord and the lord reminded me in that midst of when i was he said the forgiveness was not for my father. The forgiveness is for me. That's why I stayed broken for all those years because I would not forgive him. And then I had release. And then Lord says, you got to remember one thing. It is never about you. If you can get to the place of getting rid of your ego, which is, which is a three letter word, ego, easing God out, you can get rid of your ego. Then you can be able to do some things far greater than yourself because a man's ego keeps him separated and keep him from reaching the freedom that's inside of him. And I was able to lead my father that I hated and rejected. Uh, he rejected me and I rejected him. And, and there I was, I'm leading him to the Lord and he goes on the past like a couple months afterwards. And it, it was just a remarkable moment, you know, that I will never forget uh, that it really wasn't about me. I, I thought it was about me. I made it about me all those years, but he was showing me it wasn't about me. He says, two wrongs don't make a right. Nobody wins in that situation. And I realized that you can't win in those type of situations. And I'm just visualizing that whole conversation, how you rolled that out, and just so powerful to hear in there. Like you said, the ego, easing God out, cleaning your side of the street, just really, um, like you said, making it about not yourself and others and, you know, being self-aware and taking that step forward to two wrongs don't make a right. I mean, this is, you know, so much to learn and so much, you know, great knowledge that you're dropping here with us today. Um, love also, as we go in, we end with rapid fire each side or at the end of each episode, excuse me. Um, but before we get there, I want to talk about, we love to talk about the foundations or the give backs and Daryl Strawberry Foundation to help children with autism. Can you, uh, touch upon that a little bit. Yeah, me and my wife, uh, when we first moved to St. Louis, we went into the center where our sister worked for children with autis autism, you know, autistic children. And we came out of there and we were just blown away, you know, and, and, and God was just all over me. And he said, start a foundation and, and just raise money and just give it to the center. Um, go do celebrity golf tournaments in New York City and with all your friends and and, and be able to raise money. And we did that. We just, we had no staff. We just raised every dime that we raised, we gave it to the uh, center for children with autism. And that was the first ministry we had, you know, it was the first ministry that we started doing and And we just loved it. We loved uh, um, experiencing that, you know, with autistic children. And it was just a great time, you know, to know that they, their love and their compassion, those kids, when you get close to them and, and, and they know if you're, uncomfortable with them, but they saw me and Tracy and they realized that we wasn't uncomfortable with them. They realized that we want to be a part of them and we just raised money and we just gave it to them and helped them in every way. And we're just so thankful that we were able to do so many, so many golf tournaments in New York and raise a lot of money and be able to give it directly to the center. Awesome, man. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, man. That you're giving back, um, doing so many things. Um, all right. 
let's get into uh let's get into a little rapid fire might, uh, might be a little lighthearted <laughs> session here we have a so, few, few, few not questions. too hot seat though yeah not think. too hot so um did some research and found out that one of the people that you hated i think the guy you hated fading facing the most was the great nolan ryan and um i guess can you talk about your first time facing nolan ryan as a young guy well, my first time facing Nolan Ryan, my heart was just beating so fast, you know. I was on the on-deck circle, and I was like, man, that's Nolan Ryan, man. I'm just, like, nervous. <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, this is no joke, because, you know, Nolan was different. He was an old-school type of pitcher, he, and he didn't play around. You know, you, you got to get in the box. You don't get in the box, he's going to drill you. He's going to throw one under your chin, and, and he was throwing hard, and I was just like, man, I was, I was in fear when I first started facing Nolan Ryan, but, I mean, that kind of kind of overcame that you know eventually in due time but you know when you first you know see a guy like that that you watched on television for a very long time and you see him and you're facing him and the demeanor that is on his face was like kid don't play around get in the box <laughs> no doubt <laughs> did you get a hit I probably didn't then. No, I probably punched me out of something. I probably shattered my bat or something. <laughs> so, so speaking of baseball, second question. Uh, we just got out of Black History Month, but how does Major League Baseball or baseball in general? I shouldn't just use Major League Baseball, but how does the you know black youth uh, advance in baseball? That's a big struggle, right? Diversity in baseball from a African American community perspective, uh, especially. How does that? How does that improve? Yeah, that's a good question, guys, because it's really sad because when I – and my times of playing in the 80s, it was uh, tons of black players, you know, in, in the game of baseball. And, and we've gotten away from that. They've just gotten away from that of going over to different countries and, and building, you know, uh, facilities over there. And they've gotten away from the inner cities and what the inner city of baseball was like in our own hometown. And I think that's the only way you're going to be able to revive you know, for young kids to play, you have to start them young. You have to build. You have to build places um, for them to be able to go and play. You know, just like they have AAU basketball and AAU football and all these different sports where you know kids come and they give them tennis shoes, t-shirts, you know, jerseys and stuff like that to play ball. They have to do the same thing for baseball. If you want baseball to uh, be able to come back and bring African Americans back into the game, you have to make it attractive. Because kids don't understand baseball like they understand basketball and jerseys and football and jerseys. But they don't understand baseball because you don't really have a, a lot of – you don't have a symbol of a lot of black players that you have uh, represented with jerseys in baseball. That's the history of baseball. So they don't really know a lot about baseball players. So I think it's important to be able to get back into those inner cities. I think MLB has to be involved where they develop leagues around the country for inner cities for African-American kids to be able to play baseball because they can't afford it. Put it like this. Families cannot afford, black families cannot afford to pay $1,500, $2,000 for travel team for yep. kids to play baseball. It's just impossible. They have to make it affordable where kids can play and, and they don't have to worry. The parents don't have to worry about trying to put money to get, uh, put their kids on. No, amen. Amen. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to say what would you change, but we have uh we're we're both young young fathers. Uh I have a five year old and a three year old, and you have a five year old and a two two year old. You almost with forgot one that. on with one on the way with <laughs> yep. future girl dad over here. But <laughs> what 
dad advice would Daryl Strawberry give to Calvin and Kyle here as young fathers? Calvin and Kyle and, and all the young fathers out there, uh, my advice would uh, get back to the table talk with biblical principles for your kids. We're living in a darkness time of society that's saying you can be anything. Social media, social outlets, they're not real. You know, they're just there to stir up things, you know, to you know, prove that I'm better than you. I'm, no one is better than no one, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all going to die. And what we have to do is we have to get our kids back into some biblical principles so they can know the importance of what's right and who's right. When we've gotten so far up to the left, to the right, and we're, we're competing about all the wrong things in a generation, a generation that's broken, you know, that lawlessness brings about a broken generation, and we're living in a broken generation. And it's because one thing kids need to understand, that the Lord Jesus Christ is not coming back for color. He's coming back for a person who is born of his spirit. And we've gotten away from sharing that when we've made it into what you're white, you're black. He's not coming back for that. You know, we have the problems down here, but he don't have the problems where he's at. So he's trying to get us to get back to the principles of loving each other and caring for each other and getting past the color of what we look like. Beautiful. Man. Yeah. I, th- I think we, I was going to have another question, but I think that's, that's a, that that's a mic <laughs> drop, right? I mean, that's very well said, Daryl. I mean, that, Man, you you've just dropped. We call them knowledge nuggets, and and you have just completely dropped a lot of nuggets. That's for sure. And and we really appreciate you. We got one more. Um. Okay. Well, go ahead. Yeah. 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 We actually, you know what? We do. Got we do one have more one more. You. We have. I was one. trying to cut. Oh, I was yeah. actually going to let him All off. Right. All right. All right. And we'll go ahead and wrap up after this real quick. Um. So before you answer this question, you have to help us with the answer, and you'll understand here in a second. Uh, <laughs> who is one person? that we should have as a guest on the underdog podcast. Oh, who is one person you should have? Oh man, that's a, that's a good question there. You know, it's a lot of guys. Um, but I think Mo Rivera, if you can get Mo Rivera, he's a solid guy. Uh, you know, they, everybody looks at him, you know, from being the Yankee closer and what he did in baseball. Uh, but he's a, he's a true man of faith and he stands on some principles. If you get guys like that, uh, to really be able to come on and share about their career and why did they why did they ended up being so successful? Him or a guy like Albert Pujols, you know, those guys are, are are guys that I look at that really you know were able to live at such a high level and do it right. You know, I got a chance to see one a couple teammates, you know, like Gary Carter and Mookie Wilson, guys live right in front of me when I was living broken a broken life and I just wish I could have lived the life that they were living because uh, it was real and I, I just didn't have the guts to go over there and get what they were what they had to give and I think you know a, a lot of players miss out on that when you think you, know, you see players you guys know you play sports you've been in the locker room and we think this guy lives a certain way he lives a perfect way but you know what Gary Carter was drinking milk while all the rest of us was drinking alcohol I wish I could have been drinking milk back in those days yeah, yeah. No, great point <laughs> no doubt no doubt yeah yeah <laughs> Um, well, yeah, we'd love to Mo Rivera, uh, what enter Sandman, right? When he used to come out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That was one of the best walkouts, one of the best closers with the best walkout song. And then obviously Albert Pujols is just a special person and obviously has a sustained excellence career, but man, yeah, we'd be, yeah. that'd be great. Um, well, as Kyle said, man, appreciate you taking time, you know, out of your schedule to join us here. Uh, as he said, a lot of knowledge nuggets as we like to call them. Can't, can't wait to go back and listen. 
Um, and, and obviously we'll let you know when we're going to release this episode. But uh, real quick, how can people continue to follow your, your message and your brand? I know social media and, and any other way you want to let them know. Yeah, you can go to findingyourway.com. That's one word. That's our, that's our ministry page, findingyourway.com. And, and my um, Instagram is Daryl Strawberry 18. Uh, I try to post, you know, a few baseball pictures here and there. And, you know, what I try to post a lot of, you know, positive affirmation about, you know, about faith and everything to encourage people, especially during these crazy times that we're living in. We were so separated, so divided. And I just try to encourage people that God is not mad at anyone and he has not forgotten about you. And your story could be his glory. Love it. Yeah, love, love it, it Daryl. Keep the, uh, Get the leg, get the get leg, leg up. Yeah. get the leg on. There you go, there you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah. Well, my man, well, we appreciate it. <laughs> keep, keep doing uh, great things, and God bless you. We, uh, we'll we keep following you, and we can't wait. We'll let you know when we release it, and um, want nothing but the, I know the best is ahead, and I and, uh, can't wait to watch you continue to work, my man. Well, thanks, guys. You guys keep doing great things, too. Appreciate you guys. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right, thank you, sir. All right, Daryl. Thank you, sir. You guys, man. All, All right. right. We'll Bye. see you. Take care.